Big Fluff. Look, I don't know what you boys are looking for, but I just got back, okay? It was a family emergency. Now, that's the truth. Family emergency. Yeah, I got a family emergency, too, man. I got to go tell my woman that I just lost $200 on a stupid deal. Mm, she's mean. What? She can be mean, Come here, come here, Randall. Six years ago, you make a real smart move. You know, you retire from a life that's gonna get you busted or killed, or maybe even both. And I'm thinking, I'm not putting you away when I had a chance. It's like this big puck up the ass of this real impressive career that I've had. Oh, yeah, well, without disappointment, you can't appreciate victory. I don't know to tell you that. Well, now that's hitting below the belt. Yeah, all right, let me tell you about below the belt, Randall. I tell you what, from here on out, if you walk across the street outside of a crosswalk, if you roll through a stop sign, if you use an aerosol can in a manner other than directed, I mean, I don't care. You make one slip and I will put you away for good. Who's Eleanor? For Van Carr. And don't ever talk about my wife. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Memphis McIntyre. <laughs> and this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver lining. Uh, and this week, uh, as you heard from the opener, we're closing out Nicolas Cage month with the seminal early 2000s movie Gone in 60 Seconds, Yep, or GISS for short. <laughs> GISS is, yeah, that's the cool acronym. That all the kids are calling it. Uh, I did want to, since you mentioned at the top, I just want to take care of this business before we get into the show, which is, so this is the end, as you said, of Nicolas Cage month. And uh, for the entire month, since starting with the USS Indianapolis, I have been doing a very juvenile bit where I continue to play this clip out of context. We motorboat the son of a bitch. And, and so, you know, whether it makes any sense or not, I just find a reason every show to play. We motorboat the son of a bitch. And I just want to say, like, I understand. I've been reflecting on it. It's kind of juvenile. It doesn't really fit. I've been kind of, you know, just like, like, it's just, it's done. You know, it ran its course. We don't really need the bit anymore. And besides, it has nothing to do with Gone in 60 Seconds. So that's why you won't hear that clip anymore for the rest of the show. And instead, I actually have a relevant clip that relates to this movie. That's right, you gotta think about what? Yeah, so, you know, no more motorboating. Let's talk about the relevant stuff with Gone in 60 Seconds. That's right, you gotta think about what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so mature. This is, this is what we're doing, right? This is important. It is, we're doing important work, it's yeah. true. Uh, so let's get talking about GIS and you know find out about the silver linings to GIS and and all that. All right, I'm curious where you're at because I, I have a feeling that I like this movie more than you did. I'm gonna say that that's probably true, uh, but this is one of those like, and I this is actually the first time I think I'm almost sure this is the first time I've watched it start to finish all the way through. Um, but I guarantee you it would absolutely have been the type of movie that if it came on TBS in 2002, I would have kept it on TV. 
Well, I will tell you, and this will probably come up later, so I might as well just get it out. the cards on the table now. I saw this movie in the theater in 2000, so uh, I, I'm old school on the... Uh, <laughs> on my gone in 60 seconds not old school enough to have seen the original which is probably better but uh you know because this is a yeah. remake like like many uh maligned nick cage movie this is actually a remake so uh but i uh, let's let's set the table a little bit like we'll, we'll get into it we'll see how it plays out with uh with our possibly uh disparate opinions on the movie but uh, to, to set it, uh, Memphis Reigns is uh, the greatest car thief that Long Beach has ever seen. Uh, That's true. He, and, but he's, he's walked away from the life of crime to run a go-kart track, it seems like. To, to train kids on how to be go-kart racers. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's training children to drive go-karts. He, he's living a life, uh, an honest life, but his brother, Kip Reigns... Uh, the the very unfortunately named of the two uh, has is trying to follow in his big brother's footsteps. Takes a job uh, from. I, do you have his name? Kalitri. Yeah, Kalitri. Uh, and he's supposed to deliver fifty cars. Uh, he botches the job. Kip's life is being threatened, which means Memphis has to come back for one last job. In order to make things right, and he has to get the band like all of we're checking all those boxes. This one last job, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> like, wait, so you're saying that this movie wasn't completely original in plot and structure? No, I mean, I, it may have borrowed some things from okay from no, some it, things. It, it it is it is this is a greatest hits album of heist criminal type movies. <laughs> yeah, just, it, it is it is a greatest hits of heist tropes and crim criminal movie tropes and cop movie tropes and it's it is it is playing the hits mm -hmm. for sure which i think is smart i'm just gonna go ahead and say that i think it works for this movie to know to not really to just throw it all in there and just you know not try to get too crazy with anything yeah i th this there's no need to try to write a revolutionary the only thing it didn't have is like a double cross twist. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that was missing from this movie. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> Nobody double crosses anybody. Uh, but that's literally the only thing this movie was missing. That's a standard trope of heist movies. Yep. Yeah. Other than that, it, it's all in there. Uh, so. All right. I, I'm I'll let you start with, with if you would like to malign this movie a bit, because, again, like I said, I, I, I might be more positive towards it than you in general. So <laughs> um, so I think talking about what a just general paint by numbers pastiche this movie is, is probably the biggest malignance toward it, I would say, in a lot of ways. Um, and also just the the plot is goddamn ridiculous. How, like, how so? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> where to begin? Um, so, first of all, it it seems that Kip Rains, uh, who is you know with his crew featuring Scott Kahn and other people, um, yes, and the rest, <laughs> and and the gang. Uh, you know, it seems like they're pretty adept at being car thieves. 
But then he's just like, you don't even know enough about his character to know that this is characteristically reckless of him, but it kind of seems like it's uncharacteristically reckless of him to steal this Porsche from a showroom, drive it like a bat out of hell past police officers and get into this whole thing. Like. Yeah. I mean, he, we get a breakfast scene to really <laughs> visualize the difference between uh, Kip and Memphis, where he attempts to make Memphis breakfast and he he burns everything. He burns the toast. He burns the bread. So like it is, it seems consistent that he's a screw up, but in the exact way that he screws things up, that seems unclear. Like the movie doesn't quite commit to exactly what that means consistently. Especially because, you know, like in the last heist, he's all business. Yeah. Like all, all business. Um, and gr- maybe that was because his life was being threatened or any number of reasons, but it just seemed like even a throwaway line of Scott Kahn's like, man, you always do this. And then it all makes sense, you know, like just something to give it a little, little context. Um, so then they have the task of now they have to get all these 50 cars in four days or something like that. Yes. Uh, and so Nicolas Cage takes his sweet ass time. Well, because like he- Andy, Andy, you want to steal 50 cars in one night, because if you steal them over multiple nights, then they're looking for you. So you spend three nights. Do Now, it is a fair question as to why you don't steal all 50 cars on like night two. So then you have some extra time if anything goes wrong. But the movie does attempt to tell us that the smartest way to steal 50 cars is to do it all in one night. Well, I'm not even saying that that part I agree with. I I, I agree (laughs) that it makes sense for the logic of the movie. Nicolas Cage says by the time the first cars are being reported stolen, the last cars are being loaded onto the, the boat or whatever. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Um. But, so the movie, like, um, in sort of the the lower third, throughout the movie, there's, like, the ticking clock of how much time they have left to get everything back. And, like, he doesn't even start really getting the band back together until there's about 36 hours left. Well, he's got a, I mean, you know, I think you're being too hard on Memphis Reigns. One, he didn't want to do this. Two, he's out of touch with everyone. So he he's going to go... Uh, to his old mentor and and then they're gonna like make some calls or whatever but it's it takes a while to to get the band back together it's only four days andy to steal 50 cars i mean and i say get started as soon as possible i do well i say that you're sounding a little bit like kip reigns i think these are the kind of decisions that gets you to go back to the same guy who made your laser cut keys that gets you to 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 not really pay attention to the surveillance like Memphis Reigns is a careful man, you know? He's, he doesn't just jump into the situation. That's why he was the best. Well, sure. But he's not doing the work to make sure that everything is all, all the ducks are in a proverbial row. He just kind of chills and then is like, we got 36 hours. Well, he's got to get his mixtape together. He's got to hang out in the garage with the boys. You got to have some bonding time. You don't even know who these guys are, you know? You got to get to know them a little bit. I'm not going to concede this point. Um, It's (laughs) it's like it just 
for the sake of the movie, why not put a shorter clock on it? Because it's not like this is based on anything real. I'll give you like, that. I mean, there's <laughs> why four days? Why not make it two days? Sure. I mean, there's there's literally nothing would change if you told us this was over the span of two days. You know, right? Um. So, so yeah. So that that. I also would is, say this implies that Kip was really ahead of everything. I mean. Because if they have four days from when he screws everything up, that means he was at least like five days ahead of schedule when he was starting to steal the cars. Yeah, I so that is just a weird inconsistency. Was this like the first car and he got almost pinched or was it towards the end of the, like? Well, we I think we know, right? Because, well, we know they, they, they have three cars in the police impound lot. So I think that's the implication is that these were the first three cars. Yeah, I think it's not made clear enough. Well, I, I would say I'm going to argue with you. I'm defending this movie. I don't know why, I, but I no, I, I would say that it is clear in that I would assume that had he gotten. So there are only three cars at the the place where the police show up. If there were more cars, one of two things would have to happen. Either the villain would have them, in which case he wouldn't need to still steal those cars, or two, they would have them somewhere else, which means when they get the list of 50 cars, they would already have them. So th I'm saying based on the fact that we only know of three cars, I think we can safely assume that it's three cars that was all he stole of the 50. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. let's go with that. So he sure. was 6% done. Yeah, good math. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, I feel like they had this really long ticking clock and then by the choice of the actors, make it an even shorter tick ticking clock. Just the logic just doesn't track for me. I'll, I, I think I'll concede to you this, that I don't think the clock was felt enough in general. Like they, they wanted there to be a clock, but even maybe as simple as like showing us a clock or like they're just it it was hard to because they were so breezy in the beginning it didn't really feel as urgent as it maybe should have i think is what what i would agree with you on about the setup yeah. of the movie um and so then they're also being trailed by a couple of cops played by Delroy Lindo and Timothy Oliphant mhm mm uh and you know Delroy Lindo is the best of the car thief catchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's had a he. I mean, it was in the opening clip. He's had a pretty illustrious career as the guy who catches car thieves. However, the one thing that he never was able to do was uh, put the cuffs on one Memphis Reigns. So you know, I think I think that's a reasonably good complication. And the fact that they have some heat-esque interactions like the one we listened to. No, I that's honestly some of my favorite stuff in the movie is the interactions between Delroy Lindo and Nicolas Cage. Uh, I, I, I don't want to step on your time of maligning this movie, but one of the biggest things that disappointed me is that you have a racehorse just waiting for something to do in one Timothy Oliphant who's just there and is capable of so much more than you're asking him to do at any time. Like probably literally could have played about half of the characters in this movie, you know, well, and instead is given four lines that are unremarkable, which is really disappointing because I love Timothy Oliphant and he should have done more. Yeah, I, I would I would agree that um, so this had a few other young people, people in the early stages of their career. Um, 
But in Timothy Oliphant's case, like he hadn't had he done Scream 3 or Scream 2 yet? I guess he had. I guess so. Yeah, I think he should have already have done that and go by this point, right? So it's not like he was unknown. But he wasn't like he wasn't as you know, he he was still on the the rise, but he I don't know. I it, he's strange casting to me cuz he really is playing a role that is by design forgettable in a movie that like could have used him elsewhere. I felt like he could have been Kip Raines, not that Giovanni Ribisi did a bad job, but no. he would have been an interesting choice as Kip Raines. I mean, yeah, it, it, look, Giovanni Ribisi should be in the hall of fame of screw up younger brothers who cause someone to have to do something they don't want to do to save their life. Like, I mean, if, if Giovanni Ribisi has a clear type archetype that is meant for him, it's guy who screwed everything up and needs someone to save him for sure. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, Timothy Oliphant could have been one of his crew. Like he could have been, I, I could, I could make a case for him to play most of these parts. Honestly, if I really wanted to. Maybe except for Memphis Reigns, Delroy Lindo and Otto. Cause he just wasn't old enough to be Otto. Yeah. Then. But I'd entertain the idea of him playing anyone else. I'd at least let him audition. Yeah. I, I think, I think that kind of goes without saying. Um, <laughs> and then also, yeah. Do we mention specifically that Michael Pena is also in this movie in a thankless role and completely wasted? Yeah. To be fair though, Michael Pena had like six TV credits at this point. Yeah. They, that one, they legit just missed. Like they, they didn't know, you know, they, you know, he could have added something to this movie otherwise, but uh, yeah, he was, he was definitely at the the upstart of his career. But he was super entertaining in his small role as a gangbanger. Hey, no small parts, man. Small in, in number. Of but lines. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he, he made the most of it. Uh, I, I maybe this is a good time. I don't know. I, I will malign this movie for, uh, you know, we haven't mentioned the fact that a straight up character out of Grand Theft Auto is also hunting Memphis Reigns. And that overall, <laughs> my biggest thing that like just in any number of ways, the just lazy stereotypical writing of a lot of characters and a lot of interactions, uh, you know, just a lot of them like pretty problematic like with uh you know the way they write people of color but almost in a way that seems so innocuous that it's you know like it's i don't even know if it's worth examining because the movie's so lazy but like you do have a bad asian female driver and you have a you know like a guy with grills who's you know like saying i you know like there, there's definitely a lot of lowest low hanging stereotype characters in this movie yeah they're they're they are there aplenty there's you know they had to have the one female role well one of two female roles i guess in this movie with angelina jolie and and mrs reigns being the two like yeah characters that had more than two lines each and and angelina jolie is uh very underwritten as a character and just really honestly a waste of angelina jolie a waste of our time like i i don't i don't know that that character made any sense to me in general like we get enough to understand that obviously her and memphis were a couple but i i don't really get much of her like interiority or like who she is as a person and i feel like the script a lot of times was like and then there's a girl yeah and that's all it said yeah, she's girl who likes cars. Like that is her entire personality. Like there's 
<laughs> nothing else to her except dreadlocks, which, you know, ooh, that's another thing we could maybe touch on is the fact that everyone's hair is terrible. This is the 90s hair movie of the early 2000s. Yeah, including for we, sure. We haven't really talked about Christopher Eccleston, but he his hair is baffling to me in this. Yeah, like <laughs> Um I was I was doing some some reading up on this movie and he hates this movie. He thinks he's absolutely garbage in it. Um he was so glad that he got Doctor Who that people stopped remembering him for this. Which is funny because he also didn't also really enjoy Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Eccleston is an actor I very much like uh, and who has done some very good work, including The Leftovers, which is one of my favorite shows. But uh, that show's great. He very often does not like the work that he's done uh, and seems to, you know, including Doctor Who, which he seems to really dislike that he was a part of that show. Yeah. The fact that the only thing he likes about it is that people for a while recognized him from that rather than from Gone in 60 Seconds. So Yeah. Well, because in that, he played the doctor. And in this, he played a guy who can best be described as... That's right. You got to think about what? Yeah. <laughs> Don't think I had forgotten. It's still there if we not need it. Not for a so. second did I think that. No, not <laughs> even a little bit. Um. Yeah, I think... I think probably the biggest sort of area that I had a problem with this movie is that in a movie that should have been all about urgency, nothing seemed urgent. Yeah, no, and I would say that's fine. I, I do think it feels too breezy for like, I, I think like we said at the top, it does a really good job of just sort of, you know, using a lot of, you know, well, you know, and the thing is the the tropes that it's leaning on, they work for a reason. You're, you're doing a heist movie like these are kind of the dynamics and a lot of them i mean let's be honest like they're this is stuff that's in oceans 11 like you know like there's the tropes are the tropes for a reason it's how well you execute them that matters but yeah i would say that i agree with you that like it's just it's not urgent enough like you know it's just yeah like that the stakes are immediately established in the opening scene which is kip reigns is going to die if these cars aren't delivered and you don't feel that throughout the movie enough right yeah no i would agree with that um and i feel like they steal all of the cars way too easily i i think there was room to do more early on like because so i'll say i think and i think they did a good job when you talk about like kip's crew versus uh memphis's crew like i i like that memphis's crew like we get to see that they're a little bit more cautious like i think they do a good job with there's a little bit of cat and mouse uh stuff happening with you know delroy lendo kind of knows to sit on like he, he figures out the laser keys thing he sits on the three cars that they're gonna end up stealing he's watching them but then we see like so we get one that kip's crew doesn't even think you know, they're too like they're they're not good enough at this to realize you shouldn't go back to the same guy to get the keys again when you were busted. So, like, it's entirely, you know, within the realm of possibility that that guy has flipped on you, which doesn't occur to them versus with Memphis's team. They 
are able to to suss out that the cars are being watched. He notices that a car is out of place. He's done recon on those other three days that he had or whatever. Like, so I think they do a little bit of that. I do like I'll just see this that like I think part of the problem that maybe you're touching on is like 50 cars feels like too many cars. Like, I don't know how they picked that number. I don't know if that's the number from the original, but they're really only interested in showing us, you know, a handful of cars. And then, like, so you have the three cars with the laser cut. You have the one that has a snake in it. Um, and then you have Eleanor, which I'm sure we will talk more about uh, mm. a little bit later. But, like, there's really maybe, like, five, six cars that you're really interested in focusing in on, which is a small percentage of 50. Right. And the other thing I thought was weird is, like, so they give all the cars women's names yes uh so that people won't know what they're talking about if they're listening in yeah are you gonna say because this is definitely i think you might be about to mention something that bothers me too but go ahead (laughs) but they're almost never on radio talking about the cars or on cell phones or anything talking about these cars oh that's not what i thought you were gonna say that is a fair point that we don't see a lot of that i thought you were gonna mention the fact that they make a big point about this is their code but literally we in the scene that we played at the top learned that delroy lindo knows that eleanor is code for a a 67 shelby mustang gt which means it's not a good code if the cop who's chasing you knows that that's the name like not only knows that you use women's names for cars but knows that you use the same name for that car and therefore if you use the name eleanor he knows what car you're talking about Yeah, it's it's baffling. Um, I feel like this is a we're like a little bit like cinema sinning this movie, and that's not what I really want to do. But there's there, there's a lot of like nitpicky stuff. Um, so I I think that we could probably pivot to what the silver like, even though we've kind of touched on those two. I feel like we're just gonna continue to like further pick nits to get to some of it because there's a lot of logical inconsistencies. There's yeah, a lot I of mean, stuff that. It, it, doesn't land as hard as it should you know there's things like that that are sort of rife through this movie yeah i think it's fair to say like it's the movie's kind of depending on some some tropes and cliches and is maybe a little lazy and it's writing overall would probably be the biggest reason to malign it outside of the hair uh for sure but yeah um and the other thing i'll say is that the the car chases aren't that like they're countless movies that do better car chases in this movie oh oh andy we're about to disagree uh but okay i uh i mean in general yeah well okay are we at the silver linings or not where are we at because um i feel like you talking you having enjoyed the car races maybe car chases maybe saw them as a silver lining well because i'm gonna say and i will say this in that i saw this movie as i said at the top and i told you i would bring it back to this in the theater in the year 2000 and i would tell you that my memory of that is still strong and it well i think it maybe doesn't read as well on your home television not in a theater the end car chase is pretty great like when he gets in eleanor and is driving away from uh the cops yeah that chase is good i will give you that other than that i'm with you everything that happens before that is forgettable but i i will like i I to me a big silver lining is the second that Nick Cage sits down in Eleanor and starts that car until that car is delivered 
to the the shipping yard. I love everything that happens on screen with that car. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, one other thing that I do kind of want to malign. Uh, so this movie is set in Long Beach, L.A. The you know, <laughs> oh, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yes. L.A. area. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if you know much about the climate in Los Angeles out there, few folks that are listening. Uh, but it doesn't rain very much yet, and it never rains once in this movie. Yet the streets are always soaking wet. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's just, you know... Because it looks cooler. It's because it looks cooler. Yeah, I mean, there, there's really no... It's Long Beach, it's near the beach, but no, there's no reason that there should be water on the highway at all times. So yeah, if I, I, there's no defense. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I let's, will, let's, let's... Sorry, I will give this movie credit because what I did... So when I saw the movie before, I lived in Maryland. Now I do live in Los Angeles and I will say that I appreciated the fact that we see the cars all driving fast at night and it's Eleanor is the last one that he steals. And that happens in the morning. And when we go from the night to the morning, there is traffic. Like, I actually think the movie has thought that through that there's no traffic at night. But as soon as we hit the morning, he didn't get to the, the shipping yard fast enough. So therefore, he now has to contend with L.A. traffic. So I did appreciate that about it <laughs> yeah uh so i think the big silver lining in this movie is man is this chock full of good actors oh yeah like it is more good actors than it needs honestly and, and i will say that with maybe the exception of nick cage and delroy lindo almost all of them are wasted <laughs> Yes. Delroy Lindo, like, honestly, I, I truly forgot how great he is in this movie. He, he really is wonderful. I, I hope that this is the year that people really start appreciating Delroy Lindo, who's a character actor that I have loved for a long time, who is in Defy Bloods, who looks the same age as he does in this movie uh, and who is so great in that movie. And like, I legitimately hope is nominated for an Academy Award for that movie is really great as this character uh, that, again, is nothing but an archetype of just like, I am the cop that's hunting you. Uh, but he has so much personality and like plays it like we get the scene that I played at the top. Like we get so much because of how good Delroy Lindo is and how good Nicolas Cage is that I think that sells you on their entire relationship for the whole movie that because we really don't get much more than that one scene. But it's like you and under the scene at the end. when. The, but I mean, to, the scene at the end wouldn't work if you didn't feel in this one scene. If you re well, there's also the. uh the really weird scene where he shows up at their garage and is in the car that has uh, a bunch of was heroin in the trunk, I think. Yeah. So there's also that one that's not good. But uh, but no, Delroy Lindo and Nicolas Cage are both great. Uh, a lot of other people are just kind of there. Giovanni Ribisi's doing his Giovanni Ribisi thing. He's done it better in other yeah, movies. But you've, you've got we already talked about Angel Angelina Jolie and Timothy Oliphant being. Yeah, Pretty just wasted. Yeah, they, they aren't given anything to play, really. Um, I, oh, I will say Vinnie Jones, just A+. Plus. <laughs> like, I have never in my life seen Vinnie Jones on a movie screen and gone, oh, man, like, I'm just, I'm excited every time his dumb face shows up and he, he finds a way to delight me in every single movie that I've ever seen him in, including this one. Uh, he's yeah, great. Vinnie Jones... 
who doesn't talk for most of the movie and is still great. Yeah. Um, Vinnie Jones, who's playing like homicidal silent Bob, I think in this movie. Basically. Yeah. He's great. Including the introduction. Like it made me so happy. He's introduced in a morgue. And what we see first is he gets a phone call and it's two other guys terrified to tell him that he has a phone call because he, they're scared of him and he doesn't speak. And then he has he's standing over a corpse eating a sandwich and he picks up the phone like that's look, you we I'll trash a lot of the writing in this movie, <laughs> but no notes on the introduction of Vinnie Jones. But that's another like huge Hollywood trope cliche is to show the mortician casually eating food near the butt dead body to show how numb he is to this work anyways. But yeah, no, Vinnie Jones was great. Um, but he also has Kai McBride who I think is a really un- underrated actor. Uh, I like him in everything he does. Uh, I think, I don't know. They, I think they could have even dialed up the grizzled on Ro- Robert Duvall's character. Yeah. Like he's he a, little a little too happy. Go lucky. Happy go lucky. He's always retired. He's really, yeah. he's, he seems to have reached uh, some Zen in his life. Uh, but yeah, no, Duvall could have been more grumpy, I think for sure. Cause he, I don't know. He's for most of his career. He's been at that age where you just want to see him play this old grump that certainly for our lives. Like... Yeah. You know, for at least 40 years now, um, but yeah, so it has a really good cast that uh, that some people, Del Rolindo, Nick Cage is Nick Cage in a C plus movie. Nick Cage for this one. Yeah, I the only I wanted to, to I do want to give a shout out to Will Patton, by the way, who's who's not mm-hmm. like who's really funny because in, it's in a cast that there's a lot of recognizable people. And he's a guy that I'll, I'll be totally honest. I just double checked his name before I said it. Uh, so I, he's not someone that I know. But like. I think he's really good in this movie. He's the he plays the the guy who used to run with Memphis Reigns, but now he works for the villain. And so he is the one who goes to Nick Cage to tell him that his brother's in trouble. But I think it's a good part. Again, I mean, these are all just tropes, but like it's a good role in that, like there's a clear defined conflict between you know, I obviously I'm loyal to Memphis Reigns, but also you left and I've had to make do with you being gone. So now I work for some bad people and now I'm being pulled between the two. But he plays it really well. And also, like, he does a lot of the heavy lifting with Giovanni Ribisi to basically explain to him, hey, idiot, your brother has everything he's done has been because he loves you. Like, you spoiled little brat. <laughs> like... He he does a really good job with those scenes, I feel like. Like, I really liked his work in this movie. Yeah, he could have lent some of his grizzled to Robert Duvall, and it probably would have balanced things out a little bit. No, he's, but yeah, he's super grizzled, for sure. He is, he is the right amount of grizzled for that role. Now, Will Patton does a great job. Um, I think definitely worth shouting out. But, like, especially if you think about, because I think nowadays, having recognizable actors in smaller roles is a lot more common. I feel like, whereas I feel like in the 90s, you'd usually have your one or two stars or your one or two recognizable names and then sort of just work a day actors, not to belittle them or in any way or anything like that, but people who are not even close to household names. Whereas this movie, for such, essentially a B movie. I mean, this isn't like, you know, this is, they knew they weren't going to win any awards. They knew they'd probably make it some decent money at the box office, but... 
you know, the studio wasn't hanging on the success or failure of this movie or anything like that. No. They go pretty deep with the quality of actors and just recognizable faces in this movie. Well, and I think that that was a smart thing they did because the movie is so underwritten that they were able to like cast good actors to do like to fill in the blanks of a, you know, pretty paint by number script. Like, I think that's smart. You know, you get a lot more value out of letting the actors kind of have to like define their characters themselves. I'm reminded of that scene in Wayne's World 2 when they have the Oh, with Heston? Mechanic. Yeah. Like, Can't we get a better actor? And they bring in Charlton Heston. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know it's, it's kind of like a nothing brought in Charlton Heston for all of these parts. Yeah. Which also I would have watched Charlton Heston play any of these parts. He would have been a good Otto. I think he would have been a good Memphis Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, you should know since you've been listening to this podcast, but uh, since we've said it a bunch, but the, the biggest silver lining here is God damn is Memphis Reigns a great character name. Oh, A plus. No, immediate because Memphis Reigns, that's doing most of the heavy lifting for defining the character. For I know who Memphis Reigns is for sure. Like And and as I said to you when we were texting about this movie, is I'm amazed that there wasn't like a mid card WCW early nineties <laughs> tag team yeah. of Memphis and Kip Reigns. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, because Memphis Reigns, you like no one in the world is like, oh, Memphis Reigns, the tax attorney. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, which Memphis Reigns are you talking about? Yeah, no, for the sure, sh- the chef or the car thief. Yeah, no, Memphis Reigns steals cars for sure. Either that or he's on a riverboat somewhere gambling. But right, you know, like <laughs> maybe the Repo Man's real name was Memphis Reigns. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, but yeah, Memphis Reigns is great. Uh, the cast is great. I I want to give a the shout- last car chase is badass. The last car chase, and also just since we touched on it, I'm. It's really funny. I don't care about cars. Like cars don't mean Same. anything to me. I've never like really loved cars. This movie actually, and I, I like legitimately when I saw it in the theater, like in two thousand, like. I they sell Eleanor so well that I remember that it's a Shelby Mustang, like a 1967 Shelby Mustang GT 500, like with a fastback. And I I know what that car looks like. I like that car. Like I it made me love the car, like which is I don't care. And I couldn't tell you most cars in most movies, but I remember that car because I don't know. They just sold it. I think they hype it up really well. They, the, just the whole thing about it's the car he can never steal, you know, it's it's his white whale. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they might, I don't think they commit to, I think someone calls it a unicorn. Someone calls it a white whale. They, they should have had a meeting to decide what analogy they were all going to go with for what the car is. But yes, regardless, it's the car that he can't steal. And then I like at the end that he gets a beat up one that Kip buys for him. Like that's nice too. Yeah, that Otto promises to to fix. Mm-hmm. So good stuff there. Uh, we can't end this show without talking about how wonderfully the year 2000 this soundtrack is. If you love the <laughs> electronica era of music. Yeah, I mean, from let the, me tell you from the first Moby needle drop to I've seen better days to been caught stealing uh, to I, block rocking beats <laughs> like I sincerely and they even they snuck Lowrider in there like I yeah, the, the soundtrack made me very happy, like for sure and very nostalgic. 
I, I wouldn't say that it, it went on my play on my playlist or anything like that. A um, couple of songs might have been there, not gonna lie. Um, but it, it is it is the late '90s, early aughts est soundtrack you could possibly imagine. Yeah, no, it's every song you think is in this movie is 100% in this movie. Yeah, well, it's also it's uh, there's something that will always make me happy about watching Nicolas Cage get hyped up to like early 2000s music, <laughs> like like late '90s, like the fact that like. It has to be written into the character because it dictates it that like Memphis, this is what Memphis Reigns listens to, which there is zero chance this is what Memphis Reigns listens to. I'm sure Memphis Reigns listens to Lowrider. That is true. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, they, they snuck in DMX up in here too, which made me happy. That's so true. Always yeah. there for the, the DMX needle drop. So yeah, gotta love, gotta love a little DMX. Um, yeah, I think we did it. It's yeah. quick. Yeah, I mean I like I said this movie it's this movie knows what it is and it goes for it and I think we we have a history of rewarding movies that know what they're trying to be and go for it. So uh I you know like I said I really enjoyed it. Like I I enjoyed it years ago when I saw it. Uh and I enjoyed it now. I understand every criticism of why it's maligned and they are fair, but it's a pretty fun uh, yeah, I, I would movie. say the I would say the biggest thing with this movie is if you expect it to be anything more than what it hints at itself is, you're going to be disappointed. But if you just understand they're going to steal a bunch of cars, Nicolas Cage going to Nicolas Cage, also Delroy going to Delroy, and it's going to be good. Also, let's not end this show without is saying out loud that the fast and the furious franchise should probably write a check to this movie because they're like, you cannot convince me that like, if you just said this was a prequel to the fast and the furious, like that it existed in that world, it literally right. ends with Memphis reigns and his team of car thieves having a barbecue and being a family like and also, you know, spoilers for the end. But like the the whole uh, the cop that's hunting you is won over by your heart as a criminal is. Uh, yeah, like there's there's some very clear uh, the things that this movie is doing very clearly made their way into the Fast and the Furious movies as well. So they, they owe a debt to... <laughs> um, someone from the cast was offered a role in Fast and Furious but turned it down for it being too similar to this movie. Yeah. No, I, the... the... I, I think it might have been Timothy Oliphant was offered a role in Fast and Furious. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think it was actually... No. It was Robert Duvall was offered Vin Diesel's part originally. That's what it was. Yeah. Yep. And he turned it down. But he was like, let's he give was this new- Michelle Rodriguez's part. <laughs> yeah, he did a screen test with Vin Diesel and it, their chemistry was powerful. Electric. But Oof. but he, he thought, you Oof. know, I already did this, you know. Yeah. So. Um, God, I would love to find out why not retcon it and have Nicolas Cage as an older, wiser Memphis Reigns show up in Nine Fast, Nine Furious. There's literally no reason not to do that. One, Nick Cage would do it to it why not just because honestly it would just it's what should happen because then you could just retroactively the, the continuity of those movies is a mess anyway so why not retroactively say that this is now a prequel to the fast and the furious but yeah put memphis and they, and they just have a big car stealing competition 
you know? Yeah, no, Memphis and Kip have to, they, they're competing with Dom and the gang to see who can steal 50 cars in four days first. And The Rock and Delroy Lindo team up to try to catch him. <laughs> oh my God, did we just make a billion dollars? I think we did. And then also all of this takes place on, uh, in space because that's right. where it's all headed anyway. So uh, This is like, this has got to be the fifth or sixth excellent movie pitch we've come up with while recording this podcast. Yeah, I still, I check my mailbox after every one of these shows drops because I just assume there's going to be a large royalty check. Uh, from just like just just addressed from Hollywood, and it's just a thank you. Here's a million dollars, but it hasn't shown up yet. But you know, not yet. But you know, maybe one week, maybe next month. Who knows? Maybe after hearing that amazing pitch of Nick Cage and Giovanni Ribisi competing against Dom and the gang, while they're hunted by Delroy Lindo and The Rock. <laughs> Well, and I know if we ever do get those checks, you would use it to buy uh, a handcrafted uh, wooden chair, right? Yeah. Because if though if you don't know this about Andy, that's right. You got to think about wood. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that bit because, as promised, you know I wanted to retire that other clip that didn't really seem relevant. So, you know, right. we, we gotta, we gotta do, you know, we gotta say goodbye to Nicholas Cage month, you know, and we gotta, we gotta move on to something else next month. I, I wonder what it'll be. Yeah. What will October bring? Who knows? I don't think there's anything inherent in October that we could thematically watch movies about. Yeah. Nothing I can think of. But just know, whatever movies that we do watch, uh, we'll approach them the same way that we've approached every movie thus far, which is to say, we motorboat the son of a bitch. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.com.